1 Timothy chapter 6 is our text this morning. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of the power of contentment. The power of contentment. Um, as you're turning to 1 Timothy, let me show you a picture. Do you know who this guy is? Does anybody know who that is? It's Jeff Bezos. Very good. I didn't even know that until I looked it up this week on, on, on the internet. Jeff Bezos is the founder of Amazon, and as of this year, is the wealthiest man in the world. He is, his net value or net worth is over $100 billion. That's billion with a B. And, uh, and so he has, he has surpassed Bill Gates now as the wealthiest man in the world. With the purchase of Whole Foods, Amazon added $40 billion to their portfolio. So, it's easy to look at someone like Mr. Bezos and think, well, if only I had that much money. Or if $100 billion, if only I had 1% of that money. That would be all right, you know. If I just had just a portion of that money, then my life would be fulfilled. I could have everything, we think. Well, his wife doesn't think so. They're in the process of divorce right now. And, and I don't say that to throw shade on them at all. It simply illustrates that having more does not solve all of our problems. We sometimes think that if, if only I could have just a little more money, and we could all use a little more money, but we think it would just fix everything. No, it won't. I honestly know very little about Jeff Bezos, but I do know this. If you have Christ in your life, you are a wealthier person than He is today. Come on now. So, I want to deal with a question this morning is, does money determine prosperity? Or, let's ask it a different way, when is enough enough? Let's see what the Scriptures define as true prosperity. 1 Timothy 6, starting with verse 6, says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, <clears throat> and gentleness. That phrase, godliness with contentment, is great gain. Or we could phrase it this way, if we, are, if we have God and if we are content, we are prosperous because we have more than we need. And that's really the definition of prosperity is having more than what's needed. You say, well, I'm not prosperous. Listen, if you got money to buy Little Debbie snack cakes, you're prosperous. We are, no matter what, what bracket you're in today, you are in the top bracket in the world financially. And so we all 
are walking in a realm of prosperity today. There's just it's a continuum where there's a different there's different levels of it. But regardless of where we fall on that spectrum, it will never be enough if we put our hope in our material possessions. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We kill ourselves trying to get more of everything, so much so that we forget to simply enjoy life. It's a heart issue. And so we must begin by dealing with this question, what makes enough enough? When is enough enough? So in this, in this passage, Paul has just talked about false teachers in the verses right before what we read. He was talking about false teachers who view the gospel as a means of financial gain. Does that sound familiar at all? <coughs> right? We, we all, and that's sort of the cliche that, that preachers are after our money. And, and that's not anything new. This has been something that's been going on even since the New Testament days. And so, so Paul is addressing this with, with, the, the, with Timothy, with these preachers that are seeing it as a view for financial gain, and he contrasts it with the true meaning of prosperity, which is godliness and contentment. So let's break this down, what godliness and contentment is. Godliness is an internal condition. It's inside of you. It is you if you're in Christ. And so godliness is not something you attain from the outside. It's something that God himself conditions inside of us. It makes up the essence of who you are. The key to prosperity begins internally. See, there are people with millions of dollars today, and yet they're not prosperous. They're empty inside. And because they're empty inside, they're trying to fill that void with material gain and, and with, with political stature. And if you ask them how much is enough, they'll always say, just a little more. Enough is never enough. But see, godliness is where prosperity truly begins. But Paul doesn't just mention godliness alone. He says that it's godliness plus contentment. Now, contentment in, in the Greek, the word here, carries the idea of being independent from external circumstances. I love that definition. To be content is to be independent from what's going on around you. We think, well, if only I could have just a little bit more. But look at verse 7. It says, for we brought nothing in the world, nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So what is the problem with defining prosperity, true prosperity, with what we have in our material possessions? What's the problem with that? It's all temporary. Everything we have is going to burn. This is why it's important that we continue to emphasize that New Life Assembly is not a building or a piece of property. This building is going to fall one day. It almost fell one year during Kids Fest when we had inflatables out here and Chris had one of them plugged up in this outlet right here, and he had too much plugged on it. It was sparking, it was fire, and it wasn't the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and so it very nearly burned down then. But you know, it, it, anything we have 
could go just like that. Everything we have is going to burn. And so that's the problem with, with defining prosperity as material things is that it's all temporary. You can lose it in a bad economy. You can lose it in a bad investment. You can lose it when a children's pastor plugs too much into the outlet. I mean, it can happen. And even if you die with it still in the bank, you can't take it with you. It's like the guy that went to heaven that finally figured out a way to take his wealth with him. He had a briefcase and took it to the gates. The apostle Peter asked him what was in the briefcase. He said, well, I brought, my, I brought something very important with me. And he opened the briefcase up and he saw all these bricks of gold that he had brought with him from this world. And Peter looked at him and scratched his head and said, you brought pavement? <laughs> So we have a completely wrong definition of prosperity, don't we? So, so we think if we could just have a little bit more. But here's what Jesus says in Mark 8, 36. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Material goods, our, our political status, our positions, none of that matters. We forfeit our soul for it. We're impoverished. We are impoverished if we give up our eternal life for all of that. So if we have godliness, which is internal, and we are content, which frees us from the external, we are free. We are truly free. And here's the thing. Godliness and contentment having it right on the inside, being free from what's outside, no one can take that away from us. No one. As spoken by the great theologian Mary Poppins, (laughs) enough is as good as a feast. I looked really hard for that picture on the internet last night, by the way. And so, what makes enough enough? We have to understand, contentment is not the same thing as settling. Contentment is not saying, well, you know, I don't really care. It's not the same thing. When we define ourselves by what we have or what we do, we will never be satisfied. There will always be something more. So when is enough enough? Enough is enough when we can rest in who we are rather than what we have. Second point. Our desires can drive us away from God's best. Look at verse 9 again. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Look at the progression. The desire for money. It's a lust, really. It starts with a lure, then it's a trap, and then it leads to ruin and destruction. Now, does wealth in itself do this? No. In fact, a few verses later than what we read this morning, he, taught, he gives instructions to believers who are wealthy, how they are to handle their wealth. And so it's not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to have things. It's a sin for things to have you. 
And so it's, it's not the wealth in itself, it's the desires, the lack of contentment that causes the problem. We become dependent on external circumstances, the opposite of contentment. And it's tied to that lust for more. And he says that the love of money is the root of a wide variety of evils. And what is even more chilling is that in our pursuit for more, we can wander from the faith. Now, I know that messes with some of our heads if we say, well, it's not possible to lose our salvation. Okay, lay your theological framework aside for just a second, okay? Lay your doctrine aside a second and just let the Word speak for itself. He says, many people in pursuit of more, whether it be fame, money, position, whatever, in pursuing more, it says they wander from the faith. Didn't say that they just renounce Jesus and walk away. It says they wander from it like a sheep that puts its head down to eat. And all it can see is there's more grass and more grass and more grass and more grass. And he keeps his head down focused on the grass. He's not looking to the shepherd. He's not looking to where the flock is. All he can see is the grass in front of him. And he just wanders in pursuit of that until he walks right over the edge of a cliff. And the same way... If we start pursuing material things, if we start pursuing positions, if we start going after this and we define ourselves by these things, then little by little we get so focused on that that we stop tracking with the Lord and we can wander away from our faith unintentionally in that pursuit. So, so let's not argue the, the theology behind it. Let's not say, well, can you lose your salvation? Now, let's not even go there. Let's just take this as a warning that, if we, that we have to keep our head up and keep our eyes on the shepherd or bad things will happen to us. Amen. The pursuit, these desires, this lust can drive us away from God's best for us. It is a form of lust. Lust is not just about sex, and greed is not just about money. They're both driven by the same thing, the desire for more. Lust begins with the statement, I deserve better. Think about that for just a moment. If you're struggling in your marriage... If you're tempted by someone that's not your spouse, it begins. Somewhere in your heart, you said, I deserve better. If you're not content with where you are financially, you think, well, I deserve to be making the money he's making. I deserve to have that position. We're saying, I deserve better. And that is the beginning of a path that can take us to destruction. James 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have. And the King James says you lust and do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now notice that. 
They come from your desires that battle within you. What is that? That's a lack of contentment. That desire, you says you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. That word desire, as I said, is translated lust in the King James Version. Either word, desire or lust, works from the Greek word. It literally means in the Greek to turn upon a thing. To set your desires on it. Maybe for a bigger house, a younger spouse, more money, a bigger position, whatever. Anything we turn our sights upon and pursue. Does this mean we should not have goals and seek to better ourselves? Not at all. I'm not saying that at all. The question is, can you live without it and be content? That's the question. And that is a heart issue. That is something that only God can do inside of you. I've shared this before, but when I graduated from college the first time, uh, at Southeastern, I, I, I was convinced. I had this friend that everything he touched turned to gold. Made me sick. He had a... Uh, he, he had, I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> anyway. Uh, but he, he, had a, he had a position. He had a pastorate right after graduation. He graduated one week, started pastoring the next. And, and he, th- he decided to go on a mission trip and money just hunted him down and found him and threw itself into his money in his bank account. It just, it just irritated me. It was irritating. And so, so I was, but I was expecting the same thing to happen to me, right? He was a year ahead of me, so I thought, well, I'll have, I'll have all this ready. And, and here comes graduation. I've candidated for a few places. Nothing works out. I turned down some. Others turned me down, and, and nothing worked. And, and so we stayed in Lakeland for six months. We finally moved back to Florence because we were pregnant with Lizzie and, and so wanted to be near family. So we did that, and I found a job working at a warehouse making air conditioning filters. Uh, Glorious work it was too, and uh, and uh, and so uh, I had a horrible, horrible attitude, and 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 my heart was not in it, and I was thankful it was the first time I made enough money to to uh, to work without Kim having to work too. So I mean, it was it was a blessing really, and we kept candidating for positions and searching. And we had Lizzie and, and so on. But I hated that job. I absolutely hated it. I went to work with a bad attitude every morning. Honestly, there were, I was having to drill out some rivets and some metal frames one time. And I thought, the thought crossed my mind, if I just let this drill slip, I can hurt my hand just enough to get a few days off. That's how bad I hate I know it sounds silly, but, but that's how bad I hated that job. And I didn't know this because I had a great supervisor that covered for me. But I came very close to getting fired because of my attitude. And... I was miserable because I had set my sights on this position, this pastorate. I I thought, I'm only worth something if I'm a pastor. So there came a point to where God finally broke me. And I can remember where I was standing when I told the Lord, I said, if it is God's will for for you, if it is, excuse me, if it is your will, Lord, for me to pastor this warehouse for the rest of my life, I'll do it and I'll do it with joy. And from that point, I just settled into contentment. And my job performance improved. In fact, I ended up getting offered a promotion to be put over their fleet of trucks that did deliveries. And it would have been a career-making position. I turned it down because I knew God had called me to pastor. But that just shows you how suddenly things shifted for me. And it wasn't but a few months later that I took our first church. And so understand... 
The thing that stands between you and what you believe God has called you to could be what's going on in your heart. Are you content with where God has you today? That doesn't mean you want to stay there the rest of your life. But if God has you there for the rest of your life, is that okay? Contentment plus godliness is great gain. If you're content and you're free of external circumstances, in other words, if things don't have to go your way externally for you to be happy, you're free. Nothing can touch you. Contentment plus godliness is great gain. Craig Rochelle said this. In fact, I just stumbled across this yesterday and stuck it in here. Where comparison ends, contentment begins. What is driving us? My friend's name was, was Mark Williams at Southeastern. For me, it was like, well, if Mark got it, how come I didn't get it? I mean, let's just be frank. Hi, Frank. Uh, <laughs> I got better grades than Mark did. I worked harder in school than Mark did. I felt like I deserved it more. Right? And that was what was driving me. Not just him, but that's a good example of all these other guys got positions all these other guys are already in churches and doing great things. And I was comparing myself to them. And I felt like I was coming up short. By the way, that comparison is sometimes an illusion. Because my friend later had an affair, lost his church, hasn't been in ministry since. Now, again, I'm not throwing shade on him. But again, I'm just saying that the things that we set our sights on, the things we turn ourselves upon... Many times, it's not everything that we think it is. And that's why it's so much better to be content and allow the Lord to promote us in His time and in His way. How do we do that? Well, Paul says it like this in Philippians 4.12. How do we learn contentment? Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Our contentment comes through Christ. We have so butchered that verse for so many years, saying I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In other words, we make it as like a Superman verse, you know? It's like Popeye eating the spinach, you know? We say, I can do all things through Christ. You know, suddenly I'm super Christian, you know? And, and, and we make it into this kind of, this, this thing that it's not meant to be. What Paul is saying is, whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, whether I'm healthy, whether I'm sick, whether things are going right or things are going wrong, I can do all of it through Christ who gives me strength. The secret to contentment is drawing our attention and strength, drawing our attention to and strength from Christ. We find our identity, our worth, and our purpose in Him rather than what we have or what we do. So, third point. When we turn our attention to Him. 
contentment frees us to pursue what matters most. In verse 11, Paul says to Timothy, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. I don't have to compete with anyone else. So I'm free to pursue God's best for me. I'm I'm free to pursue these things. I'm I'm free to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. And nothing has to interfere with it because I am not bound by external circumstances if I am content in Christ. You may say, well, I'm not in competition with anybody. Well, good. But do you ever look at somebody with a better job or more money and make judgments on how they spend it? If you shake your head at someone who has a nice home and judge them for how they spend their money, you also have a problem with greed. Now, now pastor, now you're just getting rude. It's the truth. Because listen, there are people that look at you and say the same thing. Again, this is all on a continuum. This is all on the spectrum. And so, so we look at somebody, and they've got a nice home. They've got like a, a $400,000 home, and, and we think, well, you know, they should be spending that money to help other people. Maybe they are. We don't know. Because you cannot outgive God. The Bible tells us that a generous man will prosper when you give that's given to us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, right? And so, you know, my, in my first church, dear brother Bernie Higginbotham, who I re- heard recently passed away, fifth wealthiest man in Alabama at the time, had a lot of money, a lot of money. And you wouldn't know it to see his house. Had a nice house, but it wasn't anything extravagant. And yet, he was the most generous person I'd ever met up to that point. I resigned to come here. The day I resigned, he walked up to me and stuck a check in my pocket, trying not to be rude. I didn't look, you know, because I'm thinking, dude's wealthy. I was curious to see, you know, but I'm like, thank you, brother, being all pastoral, you know, appreciate that. I go to the bathroom, pull it out, and it's a check for $1,000, and this is in 1999, and so it's a check for $1,000. He said, use this to move on. He just wrote that off, you know, off the cuff, you know, just because that's just the kind of man he was. And this man, and, and, and it was interesting is there was another, he was a multimillionaire. There was another millionaire in the church who was less generous and, and was always working against the leadership and always manipulating and stuff. And that's a whole other story that sounds like a mystery novel. But, but, uh, but he, he was not nearly as wealthy, but he used his money to manipulate and not only, not only did he struggle, even though he had the money, even, he still struggled. He struggled with his health. He struggled in so many other ways. Bernie was just free. And, and that's the difference between the two. I, I believe that if, if God blesses you with something and you bless others through that, you're going to be blessed with more because you cannot outgive God. And so it's okay to enjoy things, just don't be possessed by them. And so we don't know somebody else's heart. If they have more than us, then we should be able, if we're free, if we are content, we can celebrate God's blessings on another person. The more important question is, are they helping the poor? That's not the most important one. The most important question is, are we helping the poor? 
And we say, well, I don't have enough. If I had their money, I would. No, you wouldn't. Because our priorities do not change when our circumstances change. They simply expand in proportion to our increase. And so whatever it is, however we function now, we will function times ten when we get more. And that's why I believe it is so important that we get our priorities right when we have nothing. Because if we lay, if we lay the right foundation, God can bless it and build upon it and we don't fall into the traps that pull so many astray. What should we pursue then? Paul said it. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. And these are worthy pursuits. Let me ask you today, which one of these do you need the most in your life? That's what we need to be pursuing. Jesus said basically the same thing in Matthew 6, 28. Why do you worry about clothes, Jesus said? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek, watch this, but seek first, everybody say first. first. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So, pastor, are you saying if I'm content, I just do without? No, I'm saying if you put God first, He will give you everything you need and more so, and your contentment will allow you to enjoy it without feeling like you have to pursue more. And you can pursue your walk with God in freedom and actually enjoy your life in Him. Godliness. Seeking Him first brings godliness and it brings provision and it brings contentment. What more could you possibly need? You see, we, uh, we sometimes like to, uh, to believe that America has it all right we, we think that we, we have some kind of special status with God, and we don't. Thank God it's a, you know, we have a, you know, we have a, a strong Christian presence in our nation, and God has blessed our nation, and we've sent more missionaries around the world than any other nation. That's changing, though. But the point, of, the point is simply this, that we sometimes equate Christianity with the American dream. The American dream is to get wealthy, to have all this power and prestige and all this. And, 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 and that's a good pursuit up to a point, but it can, it can consume us to the point that, uh, that we can become very ungodly. So what I'm sharing with you today is very countercultural. I'm, I'm not telling you that if you serve God, you're going to be driving Cadillacs next week and all of that. I'm, I'm telling you that if you put God first... He will give you more than you need, but He'll give you the contentment to go with it. That is real prosperity. And so I want to challenge you today 
It's not Jesus and today. It's just Jesus. You put Jesus first, everything else begins to come together in our lives. I want us to stand together as as our worship team comes. Just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And as we do that, it's an opportunity for us just simply to say to the Lord again that, Lord, you're all I want, you're all I need. And I give myself completely to you today. But maybe you're here today and that's not true of you. Maybe things are not right between, maybe, between you and God. Maybe you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Maybe you have and you've drifted away. Maybe you've walked away or stomped away. Whatever the case may be, if you're far from God this morning... This is an opportunity for you to say, I want to seek you first, Jesus. And I'm going to trust you to help me to be content as you meet my needs today. Would you bow your heads, please?